Each one of the 11 other judges is appointed by God and raised up to deliver his people from the oppression of the nations around. And that oppression came, of course, because they failed when they initially went into the land uh, to obey God and to drive out all the nations around. And so for hundreds of years they were oppressed by the various nations around. Each one of those judges could therefore be described as a deliverer or a saviour. We read in each case that the Spirit of the Lord came upon each one of these men, ordinary men, uh, but granted the aid of the Spirit uh, to carry out the specific mission for which God had called them. We find each time, in each of the circumstances, there was a cry for help, um, there was the sin, and then they were taken into submission, and then they made supplication, and the people cried for help. And as each deliverer, each saviour in that sense is raised up, they in turn raise an army, and they defeat by the aid of Almighty God, they defeat the armies of the oppressor. And we've seen this time and time and time and time again. The people and the land then enjoy a period of rest and peace. But what we see sadly is once the deliverer dies, the nation again reverts to time and falls away from worshipping God. <coughs> this cycle of events, this particular period of the judges, lasts for a period of around 400 years. And as we remarked, it's a period that's very similar in length to the period that they spent in bondage in Egypt. So soon did they forget their deliverance from the land of Egypt that they went into sin. Their great desire was to be like the nations around and they found it was much more pleasurable, much more satisfying uh, to their own fleshly uh, lusts and natures to worship the Baals than it was to worship Almighty God. So, just a reminder, the judges that we looked at, Othniel, Ehad, Shamgar, Deborah, who recruited Barak, as we remember, then we spent time with Gideon, we looked at Tola, Jair, and then Jephthah, Ibsan and Elon, Abdon, uh, three judges, four judges, uh, their work was unknown, we just have uh, one or two verses in the scripture to record their time as a judge. And so finally we came to Samson, uh, the last of the judges in that sense before we would naturally be led into the uh, rule of Samuel in the temple. So, the Philistine oppression begins after their victory at the Battle of Aphek. And if we look further into that, we see that this was the battle in which the ark was captured and this was the battle in which the two wicked sons of Eli were killed in this battle. And the news of this defeat caused the death of Eli himself. You remember he fell backwards off of his stool and broke his neck. So what we see then is that an overlap in the leadership of Samson and in raise up a deliverer. In each of the situations is another reminder, another indication of the great mercy and the great love of Almighty God towards his people. So, 
Now Ralph Davis has this for a comment. We read this last time and I think it's worth just reminding ourselves. This is a wonderful statement. He says this fact that God continues time and time again to hear the prayer, to hear the supplication, to deliver his people. This is grace, grace greater than all our sin, than all our stupidity. And that's well demonstrated, isn't it? In the events of Judges, the stupidity and the sin of the people uh, time and time again uh, really overtaken and overwhelmed by the great and amazing grace of God who time after time after time... It's an illustration of what Jesus said when Peter asked how many times should I forgive my brethren and Jesus says 70 times 7 and here we have this continual pouring out of grace, grace greater than all our sin, than all our stupidity, than all our density. For if Yahweh's help was only given when it was asked for, when we prayed for it, only when we asked for it, only when we had sense enough to seek it, what paupers and orphans will we be? And that does reflect in our own experience. We have to be, don't we, at times, driven to prayer. Uh, indeed by the work of the Spirit to, to work on our hearts to really give us that sense of urgency and you know the people of Israel in these days endured and endured and endured the um, oppression and then ultimately after they've been pushed in many ways to the limits or they're reminded that they have a God and that they can go to this God and they can pray to him and that he will hear their prayer. So, points to note. God's work for Samson was slightly different. God's work for Samson, as this was spoken to his mother, he said to begin to deliver God's people from the oppression of the Philistines. This is a very, very specific, clearly identified work for this young child coming into the world at this time his work was to deliver his people and we have shades there don't we of the message uh, his name shall be called Jesus for he will save his people from their sins and here is Samson his life's work uh, long or short that it might be his life's work was to begin to deliver uh, the people God's people from the oppression of the Philistines. You see, what we have to realise as we go through these events, that all these violent acts, all these gory deeds, in all this, Samson is the agent of Almighty God and is driven by the work of the Holy Spirit. And as we've gone through Judges, we've seen and heard and considered some pretty gory um, illustrations events happening the judge who plunged his sword into the stomach of the foreign king and uh, it's recorded in great gory detail but this was at the behest of the Holy Spirit and in the plan and purpose of God and again if we look forward to the events on Calvary this was not neat and tidy and pretty was it Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross. His, black, his back was bare and bleeding from the stripes that he received, from the lashes with the cords. His head was a mass of blood from the uh, 
crown of thorns that was placed upon his head. And it underlies, doesn't it, A, uh, the real evil of sin and what it takes to overcome and to defeat sin. And here is Samson playing his part in God's plan to deliver his people. It was God's design and purpose for Samson to harass and oppress the Philistines through the acts of Samson. And I think this has to be the overriding thought, doesn't it, when considering all these incidents, all these acts, all these deeds. So what we're going to see now is that Samson is a different judge. He is not called to raise an army. And there are many commentators who say, well, the outcome would have been very different if he had raised an army. But of course, Samson is not called to raise an army to defeat the Philistines. We notice we go through all his victories, all the results of all his actions and deeds reflect on him personally. He doesn't involve other people. He takes his responsibilities and the circumstances arranged such that he alone is involved and he alone uh, is uh, victorious in each of the situations into which he enters. He does not, of course, participate in the final victory, but he gives his life in contributing to that victory. There's a contrast there, isn't it? Jesus Christ himself won the great and final victory. Yes, he took part in it, and he was triumphant, and he is victorious. Now he is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. His is the victory. His was the victory over the grave. But not so for Samson. Samson, in order to fulfil his mission, he takes part, again, in the defeat, yet another defeat, of the Philistines. And because, in many ways, because of Samson's personal role, because of his acts and deeds, Samson turns the Philistines' attention to himself and away from the people of Israel in general. The people of Israel, uh, the people of Philistia, are confronted uh, by this amazing man, Samson. And indeed, it gave the people of Israel themselves, as a nation, some degree of rest. Not completely, of course. But for a time, as we shall see, the Philistines became obsessed with dealing with Samson. He was a great threat to their nation. They had to do something about him. So, what were the acts of Samson? Well, if we were to read through chapters 14, 15 and 16... We would see, first of all, uh, he marries the Philistine uh, girl and, uh, of course, he sets his 30 groomsmen, if you like, his companions, the riddle. They get the riddle and Samson finds that uh, he's been deceited, uh, defeated, deceived, rather. And so he loses the wager, if you like, he loses the argument and so he sets out and he slays 30 Philistine men and takes their clothing uh, to meet the challenge of the riddle that he set them. So the first great act in many ways, although it's a very small act in comparison 
to the things that are going to follow, he slays 30 Philistine men for their clothing. And this, of course, caused a problem for the Philistines. This is the first time that they're going to see the great strength of Samson revealed amongst them. So there he is. He slays 30 Philistines. And then we find that because of this, um, the deceit of his wife, he goes off and leaves her, goes back to his home and uh, stays there. After some time, he comes to his senses, he takes a goat and he goes back uh, to his father-in-law and he offers the goat, but he finds that his father-in-law has actually uh, given his wife uh, to one of the groomsmen uh, as a new wife, thinking that uh, Samson had deserted her and that she was free to marry again. Samson's very angry at this, so he goes out and he captures 30 fo 300 foxes, which is a feat in itself. You've seen how fast foxes can run. He captures 300 foxes and he ties their tails together and he puts burning brands on them and they rush off into the uh, fields around, burning and destroying the crops. And sadly, the Philistines take umbrage, great umbrage at this, and they go to his wife and his wife's father and they uh, execute them by burning. They're saying, it's your fault that this is what Samson has done. And so again, Samson is very angry at this. And then he kills again many Philistines, hip and thigh. That comes just before the incidents that we read. Um, so he attacked them, verse 7. Samson said to them, Since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. So he attacked them hip and thigh with great slaughter. Then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock. In retribution for the murder of his wife, the, Is the Israelites saw Samson. We read this, didn't we? We saw, they see Samson now as the cause of their problems rather than their deliverer. The Philistines thought, how are we going to capture him? He's too strong. Don't have a chance. I know, says someone. We'll get the Israelites to capture him for us and bring him to us. He surely won't do such terrible things to his own people. And so his own people who are fearful of the Philistines, they say there, don't they? Do you not know that Philistines are masters over us? And so uh, with their... Uh, Hearts quaking in their boots, they go off to Samson and they tell him what's going to happen and he agrees to it providing uh, that the um, Israelites will not kill him themselves. They may have thought here's an opportunity to get rid of the problem of the Philistines if we give them a dead Samson. So he makes them swear that and they say yes and he says yes you can bind me and so they bind him with new ropes thinking that perhaps new ropes would be a lot stronger than old ones. And again, they took him to the Philistines. And that was uh, quite a thing for the Philistines when he came to Leah. The Philistines came shouting against him. And then we have this wonderful phrase again. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire. And his bonds broke loose from his hand. 
That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Did he struggle to break the bonds or did they just break? The ropes that were on his arm became like flax and his bonds broke loose. Is this a bit like Peter in the jail where the irons or the whatever, the fetters that he was in came away and he was free to go. It was like Paul and Silas in the dungeon when the earthquake took place. Their bonds, their bounds uh, would have broken loose. And so here it is. Miraculously, Samson's bonds broke loose. Of course he had the strength to break them uh, because he had the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. But the scripture doesn't say he broke his bonds loose. It just tells us his bonds broke loose. And so he goes out and he finds a fresh jawbone of a donkey presumably still with its teeth in its jaw it's a fresh newly killed donkey or died donkey he reached out his hand and he took it and he kills 1,000 men with it this is amazing isn't it this is amazing he kills 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone of an axe just think you know in old fashioned combat when it was one-to-one with swords and shields and pikes and bows and arrows, how it was possible perhaps for a very efficient soldier perhaps to kill two or three of his enemy during the course of a battle or even half a dozen or even ten. But a thousand? My word, how long did this take? Some of the commentators suggest that much of this was because the Philistines were running away. They weren't turning around to fight him, but he could easily overtake them. And during this course of this slaughter, he kills over a thousand. And he says himself that uh, they were like heaps upon heaps. So this is, again, another of the mighty deeds. And following the slaughter of the thousand, it appears that there was a period of seeming peace. We're just told at the end of chapter 15, he judged Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. It seems that Samson doesn't bother the Philistines and neither do the Philistines bother Samson. A period of some 20 years. We're not sure during that 20 years whether there were mild skirmishes or whatever. But as for major events like we've been looking at, Uh, it seems that there was a period of no war, no aggression. And he ruled as the leader, as the judge in Israel. Now we come to yet another significant um, event. Uh, Chapter 16, now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. And when the Gazites were told Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, In the morning, when it is daylight, we will kill him. But Samson lay low at midnight. It's a bit like Paul being let down the gate in a basket, in the gate of the wall of the city, not waiting for the morning. And Samson lay low until midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city uh, the two, and the two gate posts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill 
that faces Hebron. It's difficult to get in your mind, isn't it? Going to a city gates. How wide were they? How was it he was able to reach and put them on his back? And yet, Scripture is true. It's accomplished. Somehow, he may have lifted one side and got the other side and got them both on his back, walked up to the top of the hill. And this was yet another source of provocation for the Philistines. He's fulfilling, in many ways, his mission. He is harassing and he is provoking the Philistines. And this is God's will and purpose for him. And then at the very end, we'll come to this eventually, but at the end, perhaps his final act was the destruction of the Temple of Dagon. And it's in that final act, as Scripture tells us, that he killed more of the Philistines than he had in all the other events put together during the course of his life. So his life was not without incident because God had given him this great mission. So, Samson's great mystery. What was Samson's great mystery? Where did his great strength come from? Was he a giant of a man? with a great muscular physique? Was he an Israelite Goliath? Was he a Mr. Universe type? I don't think so, because the Philistines were constantly asking, where does his great strength come? It would have been apparent to them if he was that type of man, tall, muscular, giant of a man. No, he wasn't that, it seems, because they couldn't work out where his great strength comes from. And it's clear from the scriptures, isn't it, that his great strength, as we read there, the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he strengthened each of these occasions to carry out this great work. It's clear from the scriptures that his great strength was an extraordinary gift from God so that he might successfully complete the mission given to him. Who is the real Samson? Well, you know, many people, on the face of it, well, reading the stories and the events, might draw this conclusion. And indeed, perhaps worldly people would. Perhaps he's seen as a lustful, licentious renegade, wreaking havoc on his enemies in uncontrolled anger and fury. Was he a man who lost his temper, and as a result of losing his temper, used his great strength, in a personal capacity, in vengeance, in revenge on his enemies. Well, of course, if you just read the events of Samson's life from a material, worldly, earthly point of view, uh, that's more than perfectly acceptable. But of course, a worldly person would miss out on the great truths that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, that He had been given a mission. His parents had been told what his mission was. And so we need to go to the scriptures and find out who was the real Samson. Judges 15 and verse 18 gives us a clue that Samson was well aware uh, that his missions, his strength came from the Lord. In chapter 15 verse 18 he says there quite clearly, Sorry, top of the page. Here we go. You have given 
this great deliverance by the hand of the servants. Thou hast given this. So he knew at each of these events that he was acting in accordance with the will and purpose of God and acting with the aid of the Spirit of God. You see, he acknowledged that God is working through him. This is not for him in many ways personal. Yes, it is personal in the sense that these things come upon him, but he knows that the circumstances in which he is entering and the outcomes of those circumstances are all part of the great will and purpose of God to deliver ultimately his people from the oppression of the Philistines. His actions against the Philistines were fully controlled and calculated as part of his anti-Philistine effort. If you remember, we went back, he went took the goat uh, to his father-in-law to take the hand of his wife back. Now, this uncontrolled, licentious, lustful Samson could have kicked down the door, gone into the house, took the hand of his wife and dragged her back to Israel. But he doesn't, does he? He goes, he goes there, he presents the goat as an offering, he asks politely, this is not a man with uh, seeking revenge or seeking vengeance. He does it in a controlled way. His, and all of his actions against the Philistines we see were fully controlled and were calculated uh, to perform his efforts for the law. You see, following the cowardly display by his countrymen, that's awful there when we read that, don't you? To say, don't you know the Philistines rule over us? What is this you have done to us? They are backed away. It seems to us as if Samson is saying, if the Israelites will not join me in fighting the Philistines, then by God's help I will do it myself. He knows he needs God's help, but he also knows that it's down to him personally to do God's will and to work out and bring to pass God's mission. So what about Hebrews 11? Why is Samson listed in the chapter of the heroes of faith? Well, we have to remember, and I think we said this right at the very beginning, that only a small part of his life is given in the scriptures. And we note that his life and his works are a portrayal of his faith. doesn't seem obvious, does it, as we look at the life of Samson and the very uh, events that he goes through, that he was a man of faith. But you see, the point is made that he must have been a man of faith because he continually performed these miraculous feats of strength. And we have noted, haven't we, that it was God that performed these feats of strength through him, which means that Samson must have been in God's will and must have exercised his faith continually in God so that God would be pleased to continue to keep on aiding him to perform these acts and to be victorious and to be successful in completing his mission. This is quite an important point to make, isn't it? Perhaps Samson, in general, has had a very bad press. But perhaps we need to look deeper and see underneath all this that despite his own personal weakness, and we'll come to look at that in a minute, uh, Samson is working the work of the Lord and God is continuing to work through him. You see, what we find is that 3,000 Israelites had feared the Philistines and agreed to their request. 
And so Samson now has to move to fight them all alone. And perhaps this is the greatest demonstration of his faith. One man facing three, uh, the vast army, four, five, six thousand Philistines. What's going to happen? Well, without the aid of the Holy Spirit, most of us would run for miles, run as fast as we could to get away from that. And that was, in fact, the uh, uh, thoughts and the actions of 3,000 Israelites. You see, again, he demonstrates his faith in asking, after this great slaughter, he asks for water. And he asks for water because of the effort presumably, in undertaking this great thing. He asked the water, lest he die. And it would be not good for the Philistines to see Samson dying of thirst. It would show that it would undermine the victory that he is still a faithful servant of God and the instrument in his service. And this, in many ways, is another intimation, another illustration of God's mercy and grace toward him. You see, God God answers this request in a miraculous way. Normally, perhaps, such a request for water, God would have arranged for perhaps a traveller to come by with a large container of water and and grant him his request. But in this regard, God cuts the rock and brings water out of the rock, similar to the Israelite request, where Moses strikes the rock and out comes the water. This is miraculous. And again, God answers uh, Samson's request in a miraculous way. And this is still a yet a further demonstration that God is with him. And again, in his final hours, as we shall see, with his hair regrowing and his strength returning, he calls again on God to help him and with one last devastating blow. And God indeed comes to him and grants him this supernatural strength again to completely destroy the temple and the 6,000 or so Philistines worshipping. You have to think in terms of that episode, were the Philistines really wise in bringing, they thought they were going to glory over him and take the mickey out of him and shout and jeer at him. But they brought him into that temple, didn't they? They placed him in the very place where he could do the maximum damage. They hadn't, had they not noticed that his hair was growing again? They'd been told that this was the source of his strength and so they should have realised. So, a quick evaluation of Samson's life. The positive, God honoured Samson by announcing his birth. Samson was set apart as a Nazarite. Samson's life came to be a living miracle of spiritual, special strength, giving him remarkable privilege and responsibility before God. It was God that bestowed these great gifts upon him. Samson kept to the terms of his Nazarite vow until almost the end. You see, had he broken that vow earlier in his life, he would not have been able to continue to perform these amazing feats of strength. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do these things to a greater degree than any of the other judges because 
his acts and his victories were personal in that sense, whereas the others had armies to work with. The degree of success he achieved in his mission of beginning to deliver Israel. This is a positive. He was able to harass and to provoke and to defeat the Philistines. And finally, and perhaps importantly for us, the recognition he receives in Hebrews 11 as one of the judges strong in faith. The negatives, of course, his weakness of character was one of lust and passion. We see that in his desire for a Philistine wife rather than an Israelite wife. He falls for this beautiful Philistine girl and despite the pleadings of his parents, he is strong-willed in that sense. Again, his weakness is shown. What we see from this is throughout his life. This is a life characteristic of Samson, that he has a great weakness. And then, of course, his weakness again comes out in Delilah. He falls to the charms of Delilah and breaks his Nazarite vow by allowing his head to be shaved. But we often have to ask ourselves, were his failings any greater than that of the later kings, kings such as David, kings of Solomon? I was, I was fascinated Sunday evening by David Hercock having these things in mind. When he referred to the tube poster, did you pick that up? It's amazing, isn't it? And so it's an obvious characteristic, perhaps. God has built in uh, a degree from which men can be attracted to women and women can be attracted to men. But sadly, it's sin that's contorted that, hasn't it? And twisted it and made it into the evil thing that it is today. So, Samson's life was a truly great one. And some say, but also possibly could have been much greater. Well, possibly, that's true of many Christians, or even the majority of Christians. You see, only Christ completely lived to his full potential. We all fall short, don't we? As Paul says, we all fall short of the mark. Few people enjoyed the same privileges that this man had and used them as admirals as he did. But when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, he was successful. He was really in the Spirit of the Lord. Even in his failure at the end, God remembered his servant and restored him to favour. And again, God reminded the writer to the Hebrews to include him among those other great heroes of faith. Well, we come to the end of our studies of the 12 judges. They're there, like all scripture, for our learning. May God help us to learn about our own selves and to learn about the great grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and that God has, no matter our failings, no matter our weaknesses, God has a form, a mission and a purpose for each one of his people. Amen.